took a right turn yes you know that's from us that, that's from a thing that actually happened to us it is it's a, there's a story behind it right. but we won't get we into were, it we're not telling you the story but there's a story <laughs> we're not going to tell you that man but we're glad to be with you today on this uh i can't say winter my husband won't let me no say it's winter not winter because it hasn't officially it's december 4th doesn't matter how cold it feels out there it's not, not winter. winter yet. It's officially. autumn. <gasps> oh, autumn. Or some call it fall. Okay. Anyhow, it is a <laughs> chilly day out, but we're not out, we're in, so there you go. <laughs> and we're going to uh, have a brief discussion uh, regarding, oh yeah, you guys can get your Bibles out. I'll tell you the Bible scripture, oh. and you'll be ready. Oh, get them a little advance warning. Yeah. We're going to have a brief discussion uh, about Matthew 13, 24 through 30, and 36 through 43. So if you want to open your books and follow along, you can. How's that? We've never done that before. No, we've always just got it going. You've got to try and catch up. Yeah. <laughs> We'd love to have you join us for this discussion. Hard to do. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Send us a letter. We'll read it next week. We're here and there. No, we're not high. No, no, we just not. got done with some no. caffeine. Though. Yeah, right. But you know, we're stoned on the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm drinking that new wine all the time. Oh man, I yeah. tell you. Okay, so should we get started, or should we just monkey around <laughs> and let these people just go crazy listening to that? Well, there's when I first thought about using these scriptures, what came to my mind was, what's it all about? You know, what is, yeah, right, and then that song, yeah, they're too young to remember that song either, it's from a movie called Blow Up, which was a huge movie back in the 60s that we used to sit at the drive-in and pretend we were watching as we were making out, and it was a famous... We weren't doing that. No, 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 we weren't together doing that, we were to, doing that together at the same time, separately probably, and uh, the, the movie Blow Up was about a guy, a photographer in London, who took a picture, and he, he was looking at it, and he noticed some little weird tiny thing, and, and, and he kept blowing it up and blowing it up and blowing it up, and all of a sudden, in the very background of his picture, there was somebody killing somebody or shooting somebody, and it, it got into this whole deal thing, but it had this song that became like a number one song called What's It All About, Alfie. It, and, but the second line is the best of all. It says, what's it all about, Alfie? Is it just for well, the, the moment, moment we, we live? live? And this, this is about that. You know, is, is life just about the moment we live? You know, there's people who say... Live for the moment. Live for the moment. They say, when you're dead, you're dead. That's it. There's yeah. nothing after this. 
Well, if there's nothing after this, this is all there is. And if this is all there is, I, I pity anybody who, who believes that. I know I, I know many people who do, you know, and uh, I, I feel so bad for them and just pray for them all the time, but I, especially the ones I know who believe that. And I, I believed it at one time myself, you know, but there's more to it than that. And we're going to start reading here in Matthew 13. We're starting at the 24th, 24th verse. Jesus talked by telling stories. And he says, he told another story. God's kingdom is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. That night, while his hired men were asleep, his enemy sowed thistles all through the wheat and slipped away before dawn. When the first green shoots appeared and the grain began to form, the thistles showed up too. The farmhands came to the farmer and said, Master, that was clean seed you planted, wasn't it? Where did these thistles come from? He answered, Some enemy did this. The farmhands asked, Should we weed out the thistles? He said, No, if you weed out the thistles, You'll pull up the wheat too. Let them grow together until harvest time. Then I'll instruct the harvesters to pull up the thistles and tie them in bundles for the fire. Then gather the wheat and put it in the barn. Now Jesus told us, you know, uh, if you read in this chapter, it's story after story after story that Jesus is telling. And then you skip over, you know, and we've mentioned this many times before. The Bible interprets the Bible many, many times. Yeah. Yeah. You know, people explains it. It does, you know, and people, you know, theologians and, and pastors and, and just every all kind of people interpret the Bible. And many times they don't stop and realize the Bible interprets itself and explains itself and start there. If you're gonna seek God for revelation in the Bible, well, start where he is, where he already tells us what it means. So if we skip over in that same chapter to verses 36 through 43, it says, Jesus dismissed the congregation and went into the house. His disciples came in and said, Explain to us that story of the thistles in the field. So he explained. The farmer who sows the pure seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The pure seeds are subjects of the kingdom. The thistles are subjects of the devil. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, the curtain of history. The harvest hands are angels. The picture of thistles pulled up and burned is a scene from the final act. The Son of Man will send his angels, weed out the thistles from his kingdom, pitch them in the trash, and be done with them. They are going to complain to high heaven, but nobody is going to listen. At the same time, ripe, holy lives will mature and adorn the kingdom of their Father. Are you listening to this? Really listening? Oh, that's some, there's some heavy stuff in there. Yeah. You know, uh, 
for one thing, it says the thistles are unbelievers all, all around. People reject God, reject Christ. It says they're subjects of the devil. Well, I can, I can believe that because the thistle hurts, man. If you've ever oh, heard a thistle, you, oh, know, man. you know, it makes you bleed and hurts and everything. And so I can see where that would be what he's saying. We've got a lot of area on our property here that if you walk through it, just walk through it, you come out, you got your pants are covered in little thistles mm -hmm. that just stick all over you. And they are. If they fall off, like one will fall off on the floor or something, and you walk over and you step on it, it's really tiny. It hurts. Oh man, it really does. It's like a little one of them little terrorist balls, yeah. you know. And and uh, but here's the, it's telling us there are people in this world today, right now, right all around us, who are subjects of the devil. I mean, they're not just they're not just willy nilly people out there. Well, you know, they're just hanging around. If they're not subjects of God, they're subjects of the devil, and that's what he's saying. You know, and the part where he says about their, you know, that they're they're pulled out at the harvest at the end of the age, and said they're going to complain to high heaven. That reminds me. Remember the story in the Bible, where Jesus says the end of the age is going to be like a shepherd who's dividing his flock, and he puts the sheep on one side and the goats on the other, and the sheep are going to go into his his pasture into his fold. And the goats are going to be thrown out into the outer darkness where there will be gnashing of teeth. And the difference is, he says, when I was sick, you ministered to me. When I was hungry, you know, uh, you fed me. When I was thirsty and all that. And, they, and the, the, the good people say, well, when did we do that? And he says, well, you when you did it to the least of these, my people. Yeah. And the bad people say, well, we didn't, we didn't, when did we do that? And he said, when you didn't do it. Yeah. Right, and then there's also a, a place in the Bible where God is talking about the division of people at the end, and he says, you know, be gone from me, you evil workers, and they say, wait a minute, we preached in your name, we, we did miracles in your name, we did all these things in your name, and he's going to say, be gone, I never knew you. Mm -hmm. You know, there is a difference between the ch children of God and the children of the devil. And many people don't want to think that. You know, many people who are believers don't want to think that there are people who are children of the devil. Because it's kind of a scary thought, you know, to think, whoa, there's children of the devil running around. Is that what you mean by <clears throat> when you said that they're subjects of the devil? Is yes. that what you mean, children of Yeah. Well, it's like there's other places where, you know, uh, they were saying things to Jesus, and he said, be gone, you're liars, you're just like your father, who's the father of lies, yeah. you know, he's, and there's other places where it even says, the devil is the god of this world, and people, you know, are his children, he's, they're called, in First John, refers to people as the children of the devil, you know, there's many places in the Bible that talk about the children of the devil and the children of God, and what is so important here is God is giving us pictures. He uses parables to try and explain spiritual things yes. in secular words. He's using words that refer to the world because we can understand them and see the pictures that he paints. Whereas spiritual things, 
are in many ways beyond our comprehension because we're not totally spiritual people. We haven't lived in a spiritual plane at this point. You know, someday they'll be totally comprehensible because we'll be in the spiritual world. We'll be spirit. Mm-hmm. You know, but when we look at these stories, look at these stories. They're such gifts from God. God is just so wonderful. He, every day, I don't know about you or anybody out there, you know, but I pray every day. I thank God every day for allowing me to even hold his word to look into his revelation, that he has spoken to us in such a way that we can we can have it, we can study it and meditate on it every day. And these stories make it come alive. You know, I just, I want to praise God, you know. And when we talk about what's it all about, Alfie, what's it all about? Is it just for the moment we live? Christ is telling us in this story, it's all about, are we going to be wheat or are we going to be thistles Mm -hmm. are we going to be children of god or are we going to be children of the devil and telling us there's more to it than just here there's a harvest coming there's an end of the age coming and what's it all about it's all about god yes living our lives for god in a godly fashion amen amen it's 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 so awe-inspiring yes it is so i mean i just get goose get jesus bumps <laughs> i get jesus bumps all over me when i think about how god has revealed himself to us and continues to and continues to i mean we can seek him for knowledge about our everyday life and hopefully we all do because we want to follow him yes. you know and and in our Bibles, in our words, it gives us general rules and, and uh, guidelines, but it doesn't tell us, well, should you take this job or that job? It Correct. doesn't tell us, should we live here or live there? Right. But God will do that. He'll be that specific. He will reach into this, this reality and guide us in our everyday life if we will listen to him. We've got to learn how to listen. We've got to know his voice to know whose voice we're hearing. Oh, I tell you, I get, I could get going on this, man. You can <laughs> preach. That'll preach, brother. <laughs> I think you just did. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. And now? Now we have a song. We do. We do. We do. We're going to share a song with you now, one of our... Who writes our, the reviews. Our, our homegrowns, and, and we certainly hope you enjoy it. Bye. 
something I think we always need to keep in mind. Who writes the review? In other words, what we just said, what we just did, God's watching. And we really want it to glorify Him in everything we say and do and think. So uh, keep that in mind. And remember, we love you. We do. No matter what. Robert's now going to read a chapter from the book uh, America's, America's Trojan, Trojan War. Well, we're getting to mm. close to the end of this. Uh, it's just getting more and more exciting. Yeah. Stay tuned. Now. Uh, stay tuned. Yeah, there's there's quite a quite a bit of action coming up in this 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 chapter you're going to hear today. I hope you enjoy it. Chapter 25: Small Town America in the Crosshairs. In Baltimore, Richmond, and Harrisburg, the loss of life from the corporate jets hitting major hospitals was horrendous. The fires raged and strained the capacity of the respective departments. However, they were all, in essence, contained events. They caused confusion and led the governors of Virginia, Maryland, and Pennsylvania to refuse the initial order to give the federal government control over their state national guards because they all waited for the next shoe to drop. In the four towns where the National Guard armories formed the springboards for the four ISIS strike forces, the situations were much more complex and fluid. In all four locations, in addition to the city police headquarters, airports and oil depots had, had also been seized. Once they took everything they could from the four oil depots, the terrorists set them ablaze, causing massive fires that quickly spread to surrounding buildings 
and in most cases consumed whole neighborhoods. Each airport was lightly defended. However, in every location, a fuel reserves were set to explode and each building was wired with booby traps and demolition charges. At each police station in the time between when the strike forces had pulled out and the nation was aware that an attack was underway, the terrorists had expanded their area of control from the police stations to larger areas several blocks in diameter. These areas were defended by warriors in every building on their perimeter, snipers on every roof, and all the buildings were rigged with booby traps and explosives. The tactical vehicles and equipment of the police departments were deployed and the streets were blocked with vehicles. Such were, were the situations faced in three states. In each state, the initial response was by state police augmented by surrounding local departments until the National Guards could be brought in, which proved to be necessary in all four locations. Maryland State Patrol Lieutenant Nick Salvador had known Trooper Ron Rousseau since they were kids. They grew up in Cumberland, lived in the same subdivision, went to the same schools. They joined the National Guard together. They'd been deployed together, and they both joined the state police at the same time and went through the academy together. They had drifted apart, stationed in different areas of the state, but when they were both transferred to District 7, it was as if they'd never been apart. Now Nick was on a mission. He was determined to kill as many of these terrorists as he could. He wanted to do it for Ron. It just struck in his craw that Ron didn't deserve to die like that, roasted alive in his patrol car. Slowing down the response were the snipers who had been deployed as part of phase three. Resources were spread thin as police all over the state responded and often had to prolong gun battles with teams of highly trained, well-armed and very accurate ISIS terrorists in rural areas. By the time Nick was able to concentrate his district's response to the terrorist hold on Rockville, Maryland, the Maryland State Police had been taken over by the federal government and were under direct orders from President Parker to end all ISIS occupation immediately. As his officers concentrated in Rockville, the West Virginia Guard began rolling through. Using the radio, the convoy was fully vetted and confirmed to be in fact an American unit and not another one under terrorist control. As the first vehicles of the convoy reached Rockville exit, they were contacted. This is Lieutenant Salvador of the Maryland State Police, come in West Virginia 13th, taking the microphone of the field radio from his communications tech, Colonel Johnson answered. This is Colonel Johnson of the West Virginia 13th Armored Brigade. Go ahead, Lieutenant Salvador. Colonel, we could sure use your help we have terrorists holding a police station and an airport. Sorry, no can do. We're on our way to Washington with a top priority mission. I understand about the top priority situation, Colonel. Sorry we couldn't stop to help. Good luck. Thanks, Colonel. As the state police from several districts augmented by the local PD from Aspen Hill, North Potomac, and Durwood began to surround the perimeter of the Montgomery County PD, in the Rockville Municipal Airport. They began taking fire from snipers both on the perimeter and dispersed outside the perimeter. The gathering police presence began to fill the surrounding streets with targets and dozens were killed and wounded by the snipers. Salvador set up his headquarters in an armored mobile command post, AMCP, 
that have been given to his district by the Department of Defense. The first thing we need to do is neutralize the snipers who are outside the perimeter, Salvador ordered the state police SWAT team into action. One by one, they located and silenced the snipers outside the perimeters, first around the police station and then around the airport. While these operations were underway, Salvador had one of his men do a search for local resources, looking for anyone who might have either helicopters or private planes that weren't at the municipal airport. Sir, we've located three crop duster services that have aircraft at independent fields in this area, came the report from Sergeant Sarah Thomas, Salvador's second in command. Good work, Sarah. Send teams to all three of them. Commandeer the aircraft, recruit the pilots, then have the team leaders report to me. Turning to Sergeant Ashama Hua, Chief of Technical Operations for the Central District of the Maryland State Police, Salvador asked, Sergeant, do we have any drones that can give us a view of what's going on inside the perimeter? Yes, sir. We have four drones with video capabilities. Great. Get them aloft ASAP and have the images sent to these monitors, Salvador ordered, pointing over his shoulder to the long row of monitors that lined one side of the AMCP. Yes, sir, Sergeant Ahua said as he turned and to accomplish his task. Lieutenant, the tactical vehicles have just arrived from our main garage at post 710. Other tactical vehicles are also arriving from Durwood and Aspen Hill, Sergeant Thomas reported. Have those vehicles deployed immediately. What have we got, Sarah? Counting our own, we have a half a dozen armored SWAT vehicles with their full complement of weapons and team members. We have four armored cars, two with turrets, and seven armored trucks with rams. All right, there are four streets intersecting the enemy perimeter. Two are on South Campus Drive, and two are, are on, on Monaki Street. I want one armored car blocking each one. As soon as we get intel, we'll figure out how to proceed. Sergeant Ahua reported, Sir, we have visuals from the drones. Salvador walked over and looked at the screen showing the video feed from the state police drones. Look at that, Lieutenant Salvador said, pointing at one of the screens. You see that? Following Salvador's finger, Sergeant Wilkins, the head of the district SWAT team, said, It looks like they left the south side of the perimeter along Manakee Street with fewer defenses in depth than anywhere else, pointing at the screen. Wilkins continued, Look at that. There's only one other roadblock between the initial two-car roadblock at the perimeter and the station house. Maybe it's a trap, interjected Sergeant Thomas. Or maybe they just ran out of vehicles to use, said Wilkins. So what do you think? Should we choose that as our point of entry, Salvador asked. I say we go for it, Wilkins said. When Salvador heard nothing further from his trusted second-in-command, he asked Sarah, what do you think? I think these guys are way too sophisticated, and this whole thing has been planned out far too well for this to be an oversight. I think it's a trap. Looking at the screens and then looking at both his subordinates, Salvador was struggling with how to form up what was going to be a military-type assault. During this time, there was an almost constant arrival of more and more police. Soon, Salvador and his teams were joined in the AMCP by the police chiefs of Aspen Hill, North Potomac, and Durwood. Also present were Lieutenant Bob Graining, the commander of the neighboring state police district, his second-in-command, and his head of SWAT. They all discussed the situation and the majority of them decided to push into the enemy area along what appeared to be the street with the least roadblocks, the path of least resistance. Lieutenant Salvador, the air teams are assembled, reported Sergeant Ahua. 
What have we got, Sergeant? There are two helicopters and four light planes. All right, I want them to get airborne now and come in for air support. Put a, a firing squad in each one of them. Have them report in as soon as they reach the area. Yes, sir, Ahua responded as he turned back to the troopers at the communications desk. Trying one more time to get her lone warning heard, Sergeant Thomas said, I still think it's a trap. These guys are way too savvy to leave such a glaring weakness in their defenses. Before anyone could respond, the sound of a tremendous explosion was heard in the enclosed AMCP, above all the din of the communication center and the conversations of the gathered police leaders, against, uh, above all the sound of the small arms fire all around. What was that? Holy crap! My God! were some of the exclamations from the gathered leaders. Sir, it's just been reported that the airport has erupted in a massive explosion. The team there had battled their way into the terminal and the hangars, and just as they reached the tower, the whole place went up. The terminal, the hangars, the fuel depot, everything, all at once, Sergeant Ahua reported. How many officers were in those buildings, asked Salvador. The reporting at least a hundred were in the buildings. Several dozen more were close enough to feel the full force of the explosion. The AMCP there is reporting casualties, including injured, will be at least 200. I think we should hold off any assault until the military gets here, Thomas said, hoping that maybe now they would listen to him. The thought of all those dead and injured officers, the thoughts of so many dead and dying friends, drove any hesitation out of Lieutenant Salvador and the rest of the leadership. They were now more eager than ever to get at these murderers polluting their cherished America. Let's get these sons of bitches, said Daryl Edwards, chief of the Aspen Hill PD and a former SEAL. I'm with Daryl. I've got the men and the equipment to take these killers down, Al added William Big Bill Jenkins, the chief of Durwood PD, who was a father of five, and his oldest son was one of the officers at the airport. With everyone in agreement now except Sergeant Thomas, the police leaders hurriedly prepared their assault on the Montgomery County PD station and the defensive area the terrorists had established. Have the men surrounding the perimeter keep up a constant fire from all directions, ordered Lieutenant Salvador. Let's send a diversionary attack down South Campus Drive. That street ends right at the station house and they'll surely treat that as a most serious threat, added Chief Edwards. Have the diversionary attack start before the main attack, was Lieutenant Graining's contribution. We'll need to make the diversionary attack look credible, interjected Chief Jokowski from North Potomac. Beside the armored car already on South Campus Drive, have 10 or 12 patrol cars form up to lead the diversionary assault and send at least 50 officers on foot. That should look convincing. Sergeant Ahua, contact. Sergeant Ahua, contact the officer in command of South Campus and tell him to form up and make it as visible as possible. Yes, sir. Turning to Lieutenant Graining, Salvador said, Bob, I want you to take command of the diversionary attack. All right, Nick, I'll make it as convincing as possible. Calling out to Sergeant Ahua, tell the air support to sweep the roofs and keep them clear. Also tell them to take any targets of opportunity they see. Yes, sir. Looking at the rest of the police leaders, Nick said, all right, men, go out and farm up your officers for the main assault. Bring every vehicle we have around to head north on Manakee Street into the south side of the perimeter. Get every man we have who isn't engaged blocking one of the other streets to keep the snipers busy or involved in the diversionary attack. We want our main assault to be overwhelming, Salvador told the assembled leaders. 
As they were leaving, Salvador pulled Sergeant Wilkins aside. How are the SWAT, SWAT teams deployed? We have one on each side of the perimeter and one on each street entrance. All the rest are being held in reserve. I want everyone in reserve to join this main assault. I want them leading us in. I also want a team at the rear of the column to mop up. Perhaps Sergeant Wilkins was the only one who had given much thought to Sergeant Thomas's warning, though he hadn't spoken up or supported her in any way. Now voice a note of caution. What about booby traps? What if they have everything rigged, rigged to come down on us once we're in? They probably do wait around and let these no good savages hold even an inch of American soil when we're here armed and ready to take it fast, answered Salvador. For the first time in his long and distinguished career with the Maryland State Police, Lieutenant Nick Salvador let his emotions get the best of him. Usually he was a cool head in any situation. Maybe it was losing his best friend Ryan. Maybe it was the feeling of responsibility for losing so many officers under his command at the airport. Maybe it was just the rising blood of a trained warrior in the face of a mighty battle. Whatever it was, Salvador threw advice and caution to the winds when he looked his old friend Nat Wilkins in the eyes and quoted one of his boyhood heroes, David Farragut, when he said, Damn the torpedoes, full speed ahead. Being a loyal subordinate and a brave leader, Nick answered, Yes, sir, and then left the AMCP to order his troops for the main assault. Moments later, Sergeant Ahua announced that the air support had arrived. Nick was about to order the diversionary assault to begin when he was interrupted by Sergeant Ahua. Sir, I've just been contacted by the 11th Armored Brigade of the West Virginia National Guard. He says they've been ordered to come to Rockville and take over the assault on the Montgomery County PD Station House. Did they say when they'll arrive? They said ETA is about two hours. The thought of leaving the terrorists who had killed so many good officers, who had helped bring about an invasion of his beloved America was too much. Nick didn't even hesitate as he keyed the microphone that hung from his left shoulder and said, South Campus Drive, it's a go, calling out to his second command, Sergeant Sarah Thomas. Sarah, you stay in the AMCP and coordinate the communications with the Sham. Lieutenant Nick Salvador stepped out to lead the main assault himself. As he stepped out of the large armored vehicle, Nick couldn't help but feel as if he was stepping into history, if, his, if he was about to fulfill his destiny, that all his life and training had led him to this moment, to this assault. He couldn't think past it. He had nothing on his mind except to accomplish his task, to take back the station house and restore American honor and sovereignty. The strategy appeared to be working. The assault teams coming up South Campus Drive out of Montgomery College campus met with such heavy resistance that they stalled out in front of the barricades of burned out vehicles across the street. The enemy fire from the perimeter buildings was so intense and suppressing fire from the SWAT teams was ineffective and the enemy fire was forcing the SWAT team members themselves to stay undercover. As soon as it seemed like the assault down South Campus Drive had fully engaged the enemy, using a large armored car with a snowplow as a ram on the front, to lead the assault, Salvador ordered, attack! Immediately, the entire convoy of vehicles started heading north on Manakee Street. Just as planned, the rams on the leading vehicles were able to shove the block, two blocking cars aside, and the entire column advanced straight on the station house. Officers were fanning out, moving into the lower floors of the surrounding buildings. The enemy fire was light, and the SWAT teams 
using suppressing fire, appeared to have the enemy bottled up. Come on, we caught them napping, called Nick into his microphone as he and the squad of men in his armored car exited the vehicle to lead the assault into the station house. Using an AR-15 on full auto, Nick emptied a magazine on a window in the second floor of the station house, was in the act of reloading when all hell broke loose. Remotely detonated booby traps went off on the ground floors of all the surrounding buildings as masses of terrorists came rushing down the stairways, quickly killing any of the stunned or wounded police who had survived the blast. From positions on the roofs, FIM-92 stingers were launched and every helicopter and plane was soon falling from the sky to add another explosion, another fire, and more death to an already hellish scene in Rockville, Maryland. Simultaneously, warriors with RPGs fired on the armored vehicle, setting each one ablaze as shaped shells punctured their relatively light armor and killed all within. While all this mayhem was exploding all around them, the men of the main assault team came under a withering crossfire from numerous machine guns which had been hidden from view. The diversionary assault coming down South Campus Street was receiving the same treatment and being decimated in its tracks. Within moments, what seemed like a looming victory turned into a stunning defeat. Through the dust raised by the many explosions, Lieutenant Nick Salvador watched as his officers were falling like wheat before a combine as the expertly placed machine guns turned Rockville's once peaceful Manakee Street into America's version of the killing fields. Nick was knocked down by the concussion of the initial blast. Then he had been hit by flying shrapnel when the armored car he had been in exploded. The fire was scorching him as he lay bleeding and dazed behind some wreckage from one of the buildings. Trying to collect his thoughts, Nick could see that he and his officers were pinned down by machine guns. RPGs were also being launched at pockets of resistance. If we don't get out of here, we're all going to die, Nick said to himself. Keying his microphone, he called out, Withdraw! Withdraw! Retreat! Retreat! He could see a few groups nearest to the entrance of the defensive perimeter try to break cover and retreat. They were all cut down almost instantly. None of them made it out. A second seemed like hours and moments like days. No one else moved. From where he lay, Nick could see the body of Chief Edwards and Chief Jarkowski. We've got to get out of here, Nick thought, as he heard jumbles of radio traffic. Knowing his plan had collapsed in upon them and was buried under the superior firepower and tactics of the enemy. Watching as more and more died, as bullets smashed and crashed all about him, Nick knew he had to lead the way. Jumping from cover, Nick cried into his radio, Come on, let's go to... Which was all he got out before his body was almost torn in two by a crossfire hurricane of machine guns from several locations. Between the RPGs, the machine guns, and the snipers, it wasn't long until almost all of the assaulting police were either dead or incapacitated. In the AMCP, Sergeant Thomas fought to see through the tears as she thought, if only they would have listened, if only they would have waited for the military. Asham, tell everyone to pull back. Have all remaining officers join the teams that are surrounding the perimeter. Tell them to keep the, up their fire. We need to hold these animals in place till the military get here. As word spread through the police community of South Central Maryland, whole departments kept showing up, and soon there were hundreds of officers on all sides pouring a withering fire into the defensive perimeter around the Montgomery County PD station house in Rockville. Almost every one of them had lost friends and even relatives in a failed assault or at the airport. 
from personal and professional rage. They fired round after round, trying to hit anyone or anything, just trying to make a difference to help Americans retake America from these terrorist invaders. After 45 minutes after the assault, the 11th Armored Brigade started arriving. In short order, under the command of Colonel Hank Osborne, the Apaches and Abrams of the 11th Armored reduced the entire defensive perimeter around the Montgomery County PD station into a smoking crater. His men walked through the wreckage looking for any civilian survivors. There were none. They looked for surviving police from either the station house or the assault. They found a few from the assaults buried under debris, wounded, and shell shot. There were none from the station house. Against orders, many terrorists who survived were shot when they were found. A few tried to resist. Most were too badly to resist, but they were shot anyway. A few, a very few, were taken as captive. By mid-afternoon of the attack, Rockville, Maryland, though under a sky turned black from the many fires, though filled with destroyed buildings, vehicles, homes, and lives, though choked with the dead and dying, was once again free of terrorists. What they would never be free of was the terror. Reproduced three more times with varying degrees of similarity in Calverton, Maryland, Bristol, Maryland, and Vienna, Virginia. Battles raged and people died as Americans shook free of the invaders our own leaders had brought into our land. The Romans had brought in the Goths, the Vandals, and the Franks. In like manner, the ideologues of the Obanya administration had ignored the wishes of the people and it imported an army of American-hating jihadists whose sole objective was to drive a sword into our leader's bleeding heart. Thank you, Robert. Yes, it is getting more and more and more exciting. Uh, and, if, and you need to always remember, if you want to purchase the book so that you can read it all the way through instead of waiting week to week like we have to do with certain shows on the television, <laughs> you can purchase the books at... Amazon.com. And remember, this is just the first book in a five-book series. You know, uh, it's, a, it's a long story. It, it really encompasses a lot. And you can get it from Amazon.com. You can get into the whole series and get the first book. Just put America's Trojan War and then Dr. Robert Owens in Amazon's search bar, and it'll bring it right up. You can buy it right from there. One-click Kindle or paperback, and I really think you'll enjoy it. I know you will. Well, I don't know about you all, but many times when I know that it's a series of books, I'll buy the series because I want to be able to move right along from one to the other. I'm doing that right now with some fiction that I'm reading. So uh, feel free to do the same. And I'm writing a new series right now, and it won't be out for years. You won't be able to get those whole series. It's called Virtual Salvation. Well, that's just a little teaser, isn't it? Yeah, there's a little teaser for you. You know, you can always contact us. You go to the site, there's a tab for contact us, fill out the form. We would love to answer your questions, or if there's something you want to have discussed, you want to hear discussed, uh, do that also. Or, if you want to schedule us to kind of be goofy wherever you are, we can do that too. We play music besides being goofy, we could come and play music. Or if you want us to pray for something, just go to... Uh, I took a right turn, all one word, dot com, and there's a, a tab that you can click on, you know, to contact us and, and put in a form and we'll get it. Yes, we will. Right. So thank you for joining us today. Yes. It's been a marvelous day for us. Hope you enjoyed <laughs> it also. And we'll see you next week. Bye bye. bye.
take a right turn.